I'm going to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tonight. Uh, we've been going through the book of Thessalonians. And uh, this is, we've, we've now got to chapter 4. And uh, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 12 uh, tonight as we <clears throat> continue our journey through this uh, uh, very important letter that Paul wrote uh, to these new believers uh, there in, um, on his second missionary journey. I was uh, listening to the children tonight in Awana and uh, just their excitement. I always love to hear their excitement and, um, and I look forward to coming over here and uh, hoping y'all get as excited. <laughs> so maybe I need to get you to stand up and sit down and, you know, audience participation, all those kind of activities, that would be good. Um, but uh, I love to see our kids have a great time. Our teenagers are praying for them tonight, praying for the events coming up and uh, praying uh, for the leadership there and the ministries taking place. And um, uh, Christy's been just started leading them in life group, the girls, and we kind of divided them up and uh, really looking at uh, going into some more deeper spiritual things deeper growth in the Word of God, and I know they've been uh, focusing on times of prayer and uh, praying for them tonight. We're going to pray for both of those as well as our nursery and those going through discipleship tonight in various locations uh, throughout our building and uh, as, we, as we start in 1 Thessalonians 4 tonight. Let's, let's look at verse number 1. I'm going to read down to verse number 12. We're going to focus on those 12 verses tonight. Next week, we'll get in uh, to the rapture of the church and, and um, that doctrine, and we'll focus on that in particular as we close out chapter 4. And uh, so I wanted to focus on this, these 12 verses tonight and uh, th highlight three things that uh, Paul is really teaching here. So... Uh, just uh, you can read there at your seat with me and follow along beginning in verse 1. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also have forewarned you and testified. <clears throat> For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." And he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk that that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of 
nothing. So there's a couple of times here in this passage that Paul speaks of their walk with the Lord. And uh, we're going to look at that tonight. Title of this message, if you keep notes, is Making Progress. And uh, so let's pray together. Father, I pray for us in this auditorium tonight that you would open up our ears and our hearts to the, to the delivery and uh, the Word of God as the Spirit of God highlights various things to each of us tonight. Lord, I pray that if we have, have uh, taken care of responsibilities today and, and everyone has been busy and they've had different things going on, and uh, yet we have made the effort to be here on this Wednesday night in a time of, uh, Lord, of ministering and getting help and growing and, uh, Lord, allowing you to refresh our spirits. I pray that you will awake us, that you will help our tired bodies to be recovered a little bit, to be refreshed, and help our attention to be captivated by your word. And help me, Father, to speak truth and to speak it in such a way that people can gain some understanding in their own personal life and that they can grow and that they can make progress spiritually in their walk with you. I pray for our children tonight, Lord, their excitement to come together and to, and to, to be with their church friends and, uh, Lord, to hear your word taught and to quote Bible verses and to go through their books together and, uh, Father, to see... Uh, their growth spiritually and individually in their relationship with you. I pray, God, that you would uh, provoke them tonight in their relationship with you. I pray for our nursery and uh, the babies who are there and those taking care of them, those who are being discipled tonight one-on-one and uh, growing in the understanding of your word. And then I pray for our teenagers this evening who are meeting together. God, that you may grow them, grow them together in unity and harmony and grow them, Father, in spirit uh, and in truth. And uh, Lord, help BJ as he speaks to them tonight. Uh, Ronnie, Lord, as he leads them in fun activities. Uh, Miss uh, Morgan and Miss Christie and Miss Jackie and Andrea, Lord, as they minister to the young ladies. And uh, God, for your growth to just take place in each of their lives. And I, I pray, Father, that your perfect will would be done. And God, that we draw closer to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray tonight. Amen. All right, so let's look back in verse number one. He says, Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. He begins here in these two verses to set things up in this chapter. He begins with a word, furthermore, in verse 1, and that just, that just connects chapter 4 with some things that he wants to add to what he has already taught in chapters 1 and 3. And we see, as you break it down, that he's not playing around with the subject matter because of the words that he uses. He uses words like beseech and exhort. And therefore, he is, he is relaying how important it is that they pay attention to what he is about to say. And uh, so the, the delivery of these 12 verses are very vital in their growth spiritually and therefore ours as well as a New Testament church. And just as he does here, Paul often 
he compares the Christian life to a, to a walk. It begins with a step of faith that we take in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it begins for us. We, we make the decision, it's just a baby step, that we choose Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. And then it leads, just like a baby, to an, to an infant, to a toddler, and uh, it begins to grow and, uh, as a child and as a teenager and, a, and to an adult. Uh, there begins this walk of faith. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, you can jot this down. It tells us that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. I want you to hold your place here, 1 Thessalonians 4, and I want you to flip your Bible uh, because I want us to learn some things tonight to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now that's going back to the uh, farther to your right in your New Testament. You have 1 and 2 Peter First and second, third John, Jude, and Revelation. Everybody knows where Revelation is. It winds up the Bible. So you're looking at just a few books before that. Second Peter chapter one. Now, now if I'm sitting, I'm not I'm not doing anything, right? I'm just sitting and I'm just relaxing. It requires no energy. If I stand, well, I've put forth at least enough effort to stand here and stand still. But walking suggests progress. And God wants progress in our spiritual life. And we see an example of that in beginning in verse 5 of 2 Peter 1. And Peter says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So everything begins with faith. I mentioned a step of faith. Well, now we're making progress. And so he's going to list some things here that he wants us to add to our faith. And the first one is virtue. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight. That's another message for another time, and I don't have time to deal with that if I'm going to deal with Thessalonians. But he says, add to your faith virtue. Basically, I could say this, is the desire to do right, to have your heart in a place that God may fill it, and we have a desire to please the Lord. And to that virtue, knowledge. And our heart comes before knowledge because people can have knowledge and use it in a wrong way. So you've got to have the right heart, and then you start applying that knowledge of the word. And then verse 6, you add to the knowledge temperance, self-control, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. We all know that patience is required for growth. And, and, and then he says to patience, you add godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, verse, verse 8 and 9 here are very, very important. Actually, verses 8 through 11. He says, if these things be in you, if you are making progress spiritually to the point that they are abounding, you'll see that word show up much in our study tonight, to the point that they are abounding, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are crawling or sitting still or just standing, you're going to make very little progress. But if you're walking and you're adding and, and these things begin to abound and you're growing spiritually, well, then you start seeing some fruit in your life and you can look back and say, man, that's where I once was. God has led me to this point in my life. And, and fruit is always encouraging. 
And then we see in verse 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A person can be saved, Miss Sarah, and because they don't, they don't take steps and they don't begin to walk with the Lord and they're not seeking to please God and abound in these things, their life is just barren, it's unfruitful, they have nothing to get excited about, and over time they were excited they were mis- excited, Miss Anita, over their salvation. But over time, that just kind of fades away. And life begins to happen. And as a result, they forget that they were purged from their old sins. And so some trouble begins to happen in their life. What I'm talking to you about tonight, Kenneth, is this. Making progress in your spiritual life. You gotta be growing. You gotta be walking by faith and serving the Lord Otherwise, you're going to struggle. You're going to have a difficult time. So we're talking about making progress tonight. Go, to, go back to your left to Ephesians 4. That's just past 1 Thessalonians, if you're going to your left. Um, because you have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then 1 Thessalonians. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Because here Paul offers a comparison between the walk of a believer to that of an unbeliever. Say, is there supposed to be a difference? Absolutely there's supposed to be a difference. And so he he compares the two. So in Ephesians 4, read with me in verses 1 through 3, and he talks here about the walk of a believer. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, the calling that you've been called to. He says, with all... Say, am I called to something? You're called... At the very least, you're called to be a believer and have a Christian testimony, okay? So walk worthy of that. Notice how. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's the walk of a believer. Go down to verse 17, same chapter, and you'll see here, in contrast, the walk of an unbeliever. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. And he's speaking there of those who are not saved, those who are outside of Christ. He says, Don't walk as those who are not saved, because they're walking in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So there is a stark contrast between the walk of a child of God and the walk of one who rejects Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's a stark contrast, and that's the way it is meant to be. Now, at the end of verse 19, he says to work all uncleanness with greediness. I want you to remember that statement that he mentions here in just a moment. A life lived in vanity 
and spiritual emptiness leads to uncleanness and greediness because the intent is placed on pleasing self. And that's where we always get into trouble, isn't it? It's, we always get into trouble when we focus on ourself and our, self, our pleasures and pleasing ourselves, and uh, we're focused on those things that always gets us into trouble, and that goes all the way back to Eve, when Eve first bit into the forbidden fruit in Genesis chapter number 3, and sin is introduced in the world, and they, Adam and Eve both had sinned, and we, through their inherent, our inherent nature, are sinners. And so there's always this battle over self and spirit. I want to say this. I believe it is a good practice for us to ask ourselves if the intention of our daily life, meaning the decisions we make, the places we go to, the things we seek to do, the people we surround ourselves with, I think it's a good practice to ask ourselves if, the, if our intentions are determined by a desire to please God or are they more based on personal pleasure? Everybody got that? Am I doing this just because I'm focused on pleasing myself? And that that doesn't mean we can never go out and have fun, okay? It doesn't mean that I can't go to a basketball game and enjoy myself, okay? But it, it means this. Am I always focused on what makes my flesh happy I'm personally uh, self-pleasing. Or is the main intention of my life, what I'm trying to do, the people I hang out with, the conversations that I have, the decisions that I'm making, am am I thinking about and considering, is this pleasing to the Lord? So Paul used the word uncleanness in Ephesians chapter 4 to do describe an unbeliever's walk. Go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 4. You got it marked there. And look what he says in verse 7. He says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So there's a difference there. There's a difference. You ought to be able to point out a believer from an unbeliever as easy as that is to say it is, it is daytime because the sun is shining and it is nighttime because it is dark. It should be just as easy to point out a child of God from someone who rejects Jesus Christ by faith. So, we, we can conclude from both scriptural evidence and personal experience that a walk that seeks to please God will lead to holiness and a walk that seeks to please self will ultimately lead to uncleanness and even greediness. So Paul begins this chapter in 1 Thessalonians 4 in verses 1 through 2 with a reminder that they have been taught how to walk and he calls them to excel in this endeavor. You'll see it in verse 1 again. He says, in the middle of the verse, he says, you have received of us how you ought to walk. In other words, you know better. You've been taught, you know right from wrong, you know what to do. You've been taught how you ought to walk and that your walk should please God and to please God. 
Okay? You've been taught that as, as believers. Now he's even calling them to excel because he's, he's praying, he's begging them, he's exhorting them that they would abound more and more. Say, so what's that mean? It means they're making progress. They're, they're growing in their spiritual walk with the Lord. So in order to help them, he spends the next 10 verses writing about three specific areas where their motive of our walk should please God. And it's in these three areas that we want to make progress. And so if you're taking notes, I'll just go ahead and tell you, they are our walk in holiness in verses 3 through 8, our walk in harmony, verses 9 and 10, and our walk in honesty, verses 11 and 12. So, first of all, let's look at our, our walk in holiness in verses 3 through 8. Now, when you're reading the Bible, you have to consider what's, what's the context, who the audience is, because if you understand that, then you understand why he's saying some of the things that he's saying. Okay, why is he dealing with this particular subject matter with this church and he doesn't deal with that subject matter with another church? Uh, it's because of the audience in whom he is speaking to. So, some history here. The, the, Greco, the Greco-Roman world in the Apostle Paul's day was a lot like ours in that it was a sexually obsessed culture. You couldn't get away from it. James Grant Jr., I, I want to quote him, he says that there was an environment in Paul's day where most people didn't expect husbands to be committed to their marriages. Sexual misconduct and adultery were widespread. Prostitution was a business just like any other source of income. And adulterous activity was so widespread that Emperor Augustus established law codes to reform marital conduct is such a plague upon society. And such behaviors had become the norm to the point that many religious practices of the day actually encouraged it. So the Thessalonians would have been very familiar with this kind of conduct. And because of this, Paul deals with it directly just as he did with issues with the Corinthians and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, for example. So he wants there to be an understanding that sexual immorality does not please God. And I'm going to be careful in how I deal with this subject, but it must be dealt with because we deal with the same culture that Paul dealt with, and he brought it up. So look in verse 3 and 4 with me, okay? Verses 3 through 5. He says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel and sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. So he mentions there in comparison, those who don't know God, those who don't know Christ, that is their behavior. And he's telling the, the, the believers, the Christians, the children of God, those who know Jesus Christ and have been purged from their sins, you should, you should behave differently. So from what we need to understand is that from the very beginning, God had established marriage as a sacred union between one man and one woman. Can I get an amen there? I mean, we could take this even further 
because in the society which we live in today, is not, even the one man and one woman's part's difficult, right? But that is, that is how the Lord set it up when he instituted the home in the book of Genesis chapter number two. So when the Lord delivered to Moses the Ten Commandments, one of them mentioned was, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he says that because he's preserving the sanctity of marriage. Even Jesus is recorded in Mark 10 and verse 9 saying, What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Don't lay that aside. Don't mess that up. If God's joined them together to become one, let no man put it asunder and put it aside. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says this, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. It's very powerful words. So knowing all of this, Paul teaches in a matter-of-fact way that no one needs to be found seeking the will of God in this matter because it is very, very clear. Everybody got me? I, I say this, read verse 3 again. He, he says, for this is the will of God. There are many things in our life, Craig, there are many things that you've got to pray, Lord, is this your will for me? Is it your will for me to take this job? Okay, there's a lot of things that we've got to pray about. Seek God's direction, get in the scriptures, let God lead us. There's a lot of things we have to do that about. There are some things that are not up for debate. All right, and this is one of those things. He says this is the will of God. So he handles this in a matter-of-fact way. So that no one can say, well, I'm praying about this. I'm trying to see if this is right. He's making it very clear. We're to abstain from any form of sexual conduct outside of marriage. And to behave in any other way is to walk as those who know not God, the Gentiles in verse number 5, and is therefore displeasing to the Lord. And I know I'm preaching to people on a Wednesday night who are in church because you want to please God. Okay? And so let's make progress in this area. So uh, a church member once criticized their pastor because he was preaching against sin in the lives of Christians. And she came to him and she says, After all, preacher, sin in the life of a believer is different from sin in the lives of unsaved people. And the pastor wisely and appropriately responded, You are absolutely right. It is actually worse. Because there is a difference in people behaving out of ignorance and people who know better. Are you with me? There's a difference, okay? So, Paul continues with a warning. Look at verse 6. He says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. I have five children that I love unconditionally. All right? I will not say that they can do no wrong, because they can do plenty wrong. But it does not change that I love them. Okay? It is funny. I love them unconditionally. All right? Now, they can make decisions. They can make choices uh, in life that uh, may complicate the relationship. 
but it will never change the fact that they will forever be my children. And we even live in a society today where they can take me to court and they can sue me and they can drop my name and say that I'm no longer their parent. But I got news for you, biologically and blood, they will always be my children. Right? You can't, you can't change that. I want to help them every way that I can. And I even want to pour blessings out on them. I, I want to give them everything that they need. And honestly, I really want to give them what they want, as long as it doesn't hurt them. I, I, I like to give them gifts. I like to give them things that they desire, the desires of their heart. And I love it when they, when they live life and do things that put a smile on my face. I love that. But sometimes they misbehave. And when they misbehave, I have a very important responsibility as their father to correct them because one, they're my children, and two, I love them. Are you with me? It's not my responsibility to discipline anyone else's children. That's your responsibility. I'm not, I'm not Sadie's father. Brad's your father. But I am the father of my five. And I have a responsibility to them to teach them and to train them and correct them and help them. And when I see that they're about to make a mistake, I'm going to come over here and nudge them. And I'm going to even, with that still small voice, say, are you sure you want to do that? There's a relationship there, and it's based on the fact that I love those kids. And the truth is, my correction in them and the way that they receive it will determine their quality of life. Because they can absolutely rebel against their father and make poor decisions and leave us and do, any, do things contrary. I don't like my daddy. I dislike him. I don't want anything to do with what he believes and go a completely different direction and, and, and get involved in some pretty dark things. And that's going to affect the quality of their life. But as their father, I'm going to do everything I can to continue to love them and help them intercede for them and steer them back the right way. Are you with me? That's the Heavenly Father that we have. And so we, we are prone at times to make mistakes, but in the same way, God must correct His own when we sin, and that's what Paul is teaching here. It's true that because of Christ, we're no longer under condemnation. Praise the Lord for that, because we're His children. But we will still reap what we sow. And therefore, the consequences can be very, very, very hard at times. And so as we yield to the indwelling Spirit of God, He empowers us to walk in holiness and not be detoured by temptation. And so we must be careful in our walk that pleases God. We don't walk we don't walk according to the course of the world because it's socially acceptable. We walk in a manner that I want to please God with everything that I do in my life, the decisions I make, my testimony, all of those things. I want it to walk in holiness rather than uncleanness because in, in the law of sowing and reaping, I don't want to reap those things 
that I came to Christ for to be, to be saved from. So, quickly, that's my longest point. Secondly, look at verse 9. Our walk in harmony. He says, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. There it is again. Progress. That you, I recognize that you're doing it, he says. But get, get even better at it. Love even more. Wearsby said this, the more we live like God, the more we will learn to love one another. Isn't that something? The more we will love one another. When Paul is teaching here, he's, he's not teaching something new. If you look back in chapter 1 in verse 3, he already testified there of their labor of love, that it was mentionable. And then if you go to chapter 3, and go there and read with me verse 11 and 12. He, he, he pretty much wrote the same thing there. He says, now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Boy, that's progress right there. Not just your family, not just your church, but all people. You're growing in love. So here he's, he, he keeps repeating himself because walking is progress. And the fundamentals, no matter what you're doing, the fundamentals need repeating over and over again so we're not only reminded of their importance but to also practice them faithfully so that we increase and abound. Something worth remembering is that life was not easy for these new believers. It's easy to love somebody that loves you back or, it's, or life is pretty easy. And you can always go around with a smile on your face. But can you do that when you're suffering? Can we do that when we're hurting, when we're troubled? When not everybody loves us and we're going through some difficulties. Can we continue to do that? Well, the Thessalonians here, they were suffering. They were struggling. They were troubling. And so we see here that the Holy Spirit would not allow their troubles to be an excuse. So how did they do? Well, go to your right one more, one more letter, 2 Thessalonians, and look at verse chapter 1. And look with me in verse 3. When he writes this next letter, he speaks of what he's hearing from them. He says, verse 3, We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because of your faith, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, that's progress, and the charity of every one of you toward each other, that's love, aboundeth, that's progress. There's growth. They're not, they're not who they were when they got saved. They're growing. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Which is a manifest, manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. So their suffering didn't go away. But it didn't stop them from growing. They were growing in their love and their faith 
toward the Lord and toward each other and also them that are without. So we, we, must, we must walk in harmony and increase in love toward one another. And then lastly, our walk in honesty. Go back First Thessalonians 4. So far, we, we've studied our testimonial walk, if you will, in relationship to the home and our relationship in the church. But those relationships spill over into our relationships in the lost world. So people are watching. And so he turns his attention to a walk in honesty, verses 11 and 12. Let's read. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. you have, have you ever said the term, mind your own business? You were speaking Bible. Did you know that? That's Bible. To do your own business. Work with your own hands as we command you. That, verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. So Paul is addressing an issue here that was evidently infiltrating the church because it shows up a number of times. And if we, again, if we look at who the audience is, the Greeks despised manual labor. For the sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn to Acts 17, but we, I just preached on that a couple of weeks ago in Acts 17 with the Athenians there at Mars Hill. They were described in verse 21 as individuals who spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Sounds like the guys at the local at the local convenience store, doesn't it? All right? So he says, perhaps our greatest challenges as, as new believers, perhaps our greatest challenges as new believers are breaking free from our bad sinful habits that we, that we had all those years leading up to before we got saved. We still have all of that. And we deal with that, don't we? You deal with that, Brandon? I mean, you're, you're young, but all of those things that you had before, you know, are, we're drawn back to those things at times, especially when trouble arises. So we deal with that, and we got to overcome that, but we also have the challenge of breaking free from those culturally accepted practices. Uh, it's okay because everybody else does it. But they're contrary to our newfound Christian values. Now we're in the Bible and we're saying, whoa, wait a minute, that's, evidently that's not right. And so what do we do with that? So Paul addresses this here, and he's going to do it again. We just read verse 11 and 12, 2 Thessalonians. I want you to see what he says here. Look in chapter 3 and look at verse 7. Boy, he gets more personal here. And he starts out with himself. He says, For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. So he's an example of a testimony that walks in faith and pleases God. He says, verse 8, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, meaning he didn't want to be a burden to anybody. Not because, verse 9, we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. That's an example for you. You see that in our life, and so you should be 
we, we should be living a life that you're willing to follow. So he says in verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Man, seems like some lazy people, aren't they? Verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk, there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, and are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren, ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. There was a problem with this in the church. And so he's dealing with that. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. And he tells them, he says, study to be quiet. That doesn't mean keep your lips sealed. Just as he says later on, do your own business. Live a quiet and peaceable life. Don't be a burden to others. To work, work with your own hands as we commanded you. I mean, don't expect everybody to fix your problem. Do the best you can to fix your problem. Look at Galatians chapter 6. We're not going to turn there, but you ought to read Galatians 6 on that. We're to bear one another's burdens, and we're also to bear our own burdens. Okay? You look at that another time. Idle people spend their time interfering with the affairs of others, and therefore they get themselves and others in trouble. And Paul is teaching here that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. Paul is teaching that a testimony is only as valuable as its honesty. Therefore, we should not be burdensome in the way that we conduct our lives, and we should be able to look anyone in the eye and not be ashamed. May, God, may, may no one ever say, I'm, I looked at you, Blake, so I'm going to use you. May no one ever say about Blake Barlock, well, if he's going to heaven, I'm sure going to heaven. Because I live just like he lives. That's a bad testimony. Right? They're saying, you're no different than me. There ought to be a difference. And it's not that we walk around with our nose stuck up in the air and our chest puffed out. It's the fact that we realize we have been saved from our wretched sins. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We have been justified we have been sanctified. We have been given all of these things. We have an inheritance undefiled that fadeth not away. It's incorruptible in heaven waiting for us. I mean, it cost, it cost God his son. It cost Jesus Christ the shedding of his blood. We ought to recognize that. And because of that, because of that, I should want to live my life in a manner that pleases the Lord. So should all of us, Right? That's our motivation. What's my motivation? My motivation is I want to please God. And every day I want to be able to look every person in the eye. And I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because I know this. I've tried to please the Lord. That's how I should want to be. That's how we all should want to be. You got me? That's what he's teaching there. That you could walk honestly among them that are without even if they don't like your Jesus and they, don't want to, they reject your invitations to come to church and they don't want you to pray for them, even then, 
they can still look at you. And they can say, you're one of those Jesus folks, aren't you? Yep, that's who I am. Make progress. We're making progress. Always abounding. Go back to verse 1. We're done. I want to close. I just want to reread it one more time. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us, as you've been taught, how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. I teach my children. They have the responsibility to walk and make progress in their life. And so Paul is saying, I've taught you. I've delivered the word of God. Now let's walk in a manner that pleases God. And let's continue to get better and better at it. Amen. Amen. Our Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the time tonight. I pray, Father, that you minister to our hearts. Lord, always on Wednesday nights, I feel a great responsibility because I know people are tired. I know that they're troubled. I know that tomorrow is awaiting and bedtimes and all of those things. I pray tonight that everyone within the sound of my voice have received something tonight that draws you closer to them. And Father, have a desire in their heart to be more devoted in their walk of faith. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Awana ends in 15 minutes.